0: Psalms chapter 13, and uh, I want to preach to you a, a message that I think is very relevant to most of our experiences. Uh, how many of you have ever prayed for something and it just felt like nothing was changing? Would you raise your hand? Sure. The psalmist is facing a very similar situation in Psalms chapter 13. and I believe we can take a great lesson from his prayer and his actions. I believe we can gain some encouragement tonight. You know, prayer changes things. It changes the matter that's being prayed about. It changes the one that is praying. Uh, prayer is a powerful thing. Uh, but I will say this, that I don't believe we can pray and overcome God's love in our lives. You say, what do you mean by that, preacher? Well, what I mean is this. There are certain things God is doing in our lives because He loves us. We don't always understand that. But... And we can't always see what God is doing. But everything that He does in our life is motivated by His great and grand love for us. And when we pray, we may be praying for something that should God change it, it would be an expression that was not out of love. God is doing some things in our life. I'd love to tell you that every every time you pray about something, it's going to change just the way you want it to. But that's not been my experience with prayer. And I would guess that that's probably not been your experience with prayer either. There's been times that I've prayed and asked God to do something and He's done it right away. There's been times when I've prayed and exactly what I asked God to do was exactly what He did. But many of the times that I've prayed, I've found that the Lord didn't do things my way. He didn't do things on my time. He didn't do things in a way I could have even foreseen, let alone expected. But at the end of the matter, I I know without a shadow of a doubt that it was the will of God, and I'm the better for it. And he did that because he loves me. And in Psalms chapter 13, I want you to notice how the psalmist begins here. And we'll read the whole chapter, just six verses, and then we'll pray and preach. How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest mine enemy say I have prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord, because he hath dealt bountifully with me. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us. Thank you for the privilege to gather here this evening. Help us, Lord, to see in your word just exactly what our heart and our lives have most need of. We pray that your will would be accomplished and that you'd receive glory. Lord, help us tonight that we might lift up the name of your blessed Son, that he might increase and that we might decrease. Father, we love You, and we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let me draw your attention to how the psalmist begins this chapter. He begins with a question. I believe this is a question David wanted the answer to, but I believe this was probably a question David knew he wasn't going to get an answer to. When he asks the Lord simply this, How long? We do not know the context of what David is writing about. We do not know what he was praying about or praying for. But it is evident that David is in a situation where his enemies are rejoicing over him. He is in a time of trouble and of trial. It is evident that he has prayed to God already and asked God to intervene in this situation. And now David feels as though God is taking too long to answer in accordance with His will. And he asked the question four times, Lord, how long are you going to let this continue? Now, I'm glad that not every prayer I pray is like that, but I'd be lying to you if I didn't say that some of the prayers that I pray are like that. I'd love to tell you that every time I pray, I am just a beacon of uh, courage and of faith. But if I was to be honest with you, I'd have to admit that sometimes my prayers, they are not fantastic, they are feeble. Sometimes they are not courageous. Sometimes they're pitiful. And sometimes when I pray and talk to the Lord, it's not because I know He's going to do something. It's because I'm wondering how it can continue the way that it is going. David is in a very similar situation. He's prayed. He's asked God to do something. And evidently God either hasn't done anything or hasn't done what He was expecting Him to do. And David is faced with a situation. You know, I like what Paul wrote in Galatians 2.20, and I'll tell you why. He said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Now, I could find a thousand scriptures to express that, but that's the one the Holy Ghost brought to my mind. And it teaches us this truth, that sometimes you have to face the situation for what it is. Paul is speaking in a theological sense. He says, I know that I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless... I live, I function, I operate in the flesh. What he's saying, he's getting ready to explain now what the reality is of the Christian life. And you know, that's similar in some ways. You know, I I know all the theology, I guess, more than the average person. Uh, I labor in the Word daily. I'm a pastor. I'm a preacher of the Word of God and a preacher of the Gospel. But sometimes it don't matter how good your theology is, you just can't figure things out. And sometimes things aren't going how you expect them to go, and you have to go on anyway because there's no alternative. And so here's what I want you to think about tonight. What do you do when things don't change? When you've been praying and asking God to do something and things don't change, what do you do? And I've got a whole outline here, but it basically boils down to three simple thoughts. And I want to give them to you this evening. Look with me at verse number one. Let's read it again. David says, How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? Forever, how long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? Now, my my point is this. We see his continuing sorrow. But can I give you a simple statement that I would say, number one, what do you do when things don't change? Number one, don't lie to the Lord in your prayer life. David is expressing what he's feeling. I don't know that David is expressing what he knows to be true, but he's expressing what he's feeling. I think David understood enough about God to know that God hadn't forgot him. I think he understood enough about God to know God hadn't forsaken him. I think he understood enough about God to know that God had a plan in it. But it didn't matter what David knew. What mattered in this moment was what David felt. And so he pours out his complaint Unto the Lord, He has basically two things that he's complaining about. Number one, I want you to notice the seeming abandonment that he speaks of in verse 1. He says, God, it felt like you have forgotten me. Now, we understand with an omniscient God that God doesn't forget anything or anyone except that which he has purposed uh, in his divine attributes to forget. And certainly, God is not purposed to forget those that belong to him. Uh, I promise you that there's nothing that goes on in your life and mine but what God is aware of. There's no prayer that you pray. There's no uh, tear that you shed. there there uh, There is no moment of heartache and heartbreak that you go through, but what God is aware of. And David, I think, understood this as well as you or I understood it. But David's complaint is that when I look at my situation, the God that's supposed to deliver me, the God that's supposed to uphold me, the God that is the lifter up of my head, I look around and it don't feel like He knows what's going on in my life. I can't tell you that this was maybe the most theologically productive prayer, but I bet you that the heart of God listened closely to what David is praying. Let me tell you something. I don't know what it is. Altar call time and prayer time, we get real spiritual on God. Now, in singing, in the singing time and in the preaching time, we're willing to admit that we're helpless and we're hopeless. Man, we'll sing songs about how feeble we are and how big God is, and we'll amen when the preacher talks about how low we are and how high and holy that God is. But it seems like when it's time to do business with God in the altar in the prayer closet, all of a sudden we don't have any complaints. We oftentimes in uh, Sunday school, and I'm sure you all deal with this too in your Sunday school class, or in any place that you're taking prayer requests. You'll say, "Does anybody have any prayer requests?" And then it'll just a hush falls over the place. Uh, I mean, folks act like they, you know, like they did something wrong, and it's on tape. Amen. Right? Come on, help me now tonight. Be a lot easier on both of us if you'll help me a little bit this evening. All of a sudden, everybody gets quiet. It seems like when we're on the phone with our friend, we can talk about our needs all day long, but when we get in the prayer closet with the man, or uh, let me say this, with the God that can do something about it, all of a sudden there's a hush falls over us. You'd be a lot better off if you just go ahead and be honest with God about how you feel. He knows anyway. He knows anyway. There's been times in my life where I knew God didn't forget me, but it sure felt like He had times when, when I knew that God had not given up on me, he he claims that God has for, forgotten him, or it feels like that. He says, how long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? But then notice this next phrase. He, he says, it seems like God has forsaken him. He says, how long wilt thou hide thy face from me? Now, we where we're raising little man, one of the things we're working on, because kids today just don't have any concept of it, is listening when an adult speaks. Amen. Kids just don't, I don't know why, I don't know if it's the TV on all the time or just maybe all the blinking lights from video games. I don't know what it is. But kids, kids you know, there was a time when most of you were raised, if an adult, it didn't matter what adult, where, uh, who it was, what was going on, if an adult spoke, you stopped and you listened. And uh, you you heard what was going on. In that same way, David is saying, it feels like I just don't have God's attention. It feels as though when I pray, He don't look my way feels as though when I talk to them, something is missing in my prayer life, David says. Something is missing. Now, you and I, we're too spiritual to admit that, but the sweet psalmist of Israel, he was willing to acknowledge that sometimes the prayer closet, though it can be a blessed place, it can be a lonely place sometimes too. And though sometimes it is a place of grand enlightenment, sometimes it is a place of of, of crushing silence. And sometimes when you pray, you don't feel like God has heard. He speaks of the seeming abandonment in verse 1. In verse 2, he speaks of his sorrowful abasement. He says this, How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? Now, when we talk about abasement, David's at a low place spiritually. I mean, he is in a depression of sorts in his spiritual walk. And he points to a couple things. The first is, he says this, I was laid low by my feelings. In other words, in the absence of feeling like God was talking, I started to listen to myself talk. Now, I don't know if you've ever been guilty of that, but I have. Times when God wasn't speaking the way I hoped he would speak. And so somehow I let my emotions and my doubts and my frustrations speak louder than him. David says that he's taking counsel in his soul. And what's the result? He's having sorrow in his heart daily. Uh, I know that the motivational speakers always tell you that it's within you. But can I say this as a Bible speaker that it's not within you? Uh, You look within self to find encouragement, and you'll find yourself in the pit of despair and the slough of despair. David says When I started to listen to self, things just got worse. Everything within me feels like God isn't going to hear. Everything within me feels like things are going to get worse and not get better. And what I want you to notice, there's a lot of things we can look at in an objective sense, but I just want you to notice that David is talking to the Lord when he says this. He's not talking to somebody else. He's talking to the God of heaven. And he's not fearful to express his weakness before the Lord. In other words, he's not lying in his prayer life. He's not pretending like everything's okay when everything's not okay. God can see the very thoughts and intents of your heart. What good does it do to lie to Him? What good does it do to pretend like we're real pious and we're made of, uh, you know, of marble and we never have any doubts or any discouragement or any problems? God knows you better than that anyway. He knows your frame that you're but dust. He knows that about you. So go ahead and confess it. At least then you'll both admit that it's true in the prayer closet. He says he's been laid low by his feelings. He points to the fact that he's been laid low by his foes. He says in verse number 2, How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Now, let me say this, that David very likely was speaking of a real and literal enemy in the sense of a physical, temporal, tangible sense. Uh, whether he was speaking of it in the sense of spiritual warfare or not, though, you and I, we have an adversary, an enemy, and can I maybe put it in some language that you might understand? It's almost like David is saying, it's like the devil is winning this thing. And my enemy is being exalted over me. Let me tell you something. If you allow yourself to get low, and we all get low sometimes, just expect that Satan's going to come along and he's going to start telling you that you're right, <laughs> that things are never going to get any better, that things are never going to change. He acknowledges that Satan is wreaking havoc in his life. I was talking to somebody a while back about their prayer, and, they, and I appreciate their boldness. They're praying for a loved one to be saved. And, uh I, I mean, it don't matter who they're, if it's just me and them in the home, they'll call them by name. If they're in the middle of a big meeting, they'll call that loved one by name. And why? I don't think we should embarrass anyone if someone was uh present and they were in that lost condition, I'm not an advocate of embarrassing people, you can't embarrass someone to heaven, but... Uh, when they're not there and it can be done in a kind way, they're not ashamed to acknowledge that this loved one is lost and they're admitting it and they're saying it openly and plainly. I think there's great benefit in that because until we get honest with God and honest with ourselves, nothing's ever going to change. Until we admit that something's missing, something's lacking, until we acknowledge the place that we're in, things are not going to change. Let me tell you something. Uh, if, if you're, and I'm not talking about out in public, but now, I mean, if you're having problems in the home, you need to be honest with God about that. I'm not saying get up on the platform and tell everybody air your dirty laundry. I'm talking about in the prayer closet. David is not out in public here. He's in the prayer closet, but he's honest about it. Listen, if you're unhappy, tell God about it. Now, I'm not saying everything's going to change in a moment. And in fact, we find that things did not change for David, even to the end of this psalm, in the sense of his circumstances. But spiritually speaking, things did change for David. And I'm just telling you right now, it's not going to benefit you or God or anybody else to lie about it. Just go ahead and tell the Lord about it. And be honest. Notice number two. We see his continuing sorrow. We might say this, don't lie to the Lord. But then notice verse number three. He says this, consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Now, the first two verses, David really hadn't asked God to do anything. He's just complained. He just said, Lord, I feel like You've forgotten me. I feel like You've forsaken me. I feel like my emotions and the devil are just running rampant in my life. And I feel like things just couldn't get any worse. But in verse number 3, he's not just telling the Lord this. Now he's asking God to do something. He says, Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest mine enemies say I have prevailed against him. And those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. We notice his consistent supplication. Or let me just say it this way. Don't lie to the Lord, but be persistent in prayer. Be persistent in prayer. I see this to be a regular pattern in in humanity, if you want to call it that. And if you've been around church long enough, and if you've paid attention to how people live and behave, then you know this is true as well. It seems like when things begin to go bad, that's the point when people want to turn around and run from God seems like when things are good, we don't mind praying, but when things go bad, we don't want to pray. seems like when things are good, we don't mind being at church, but when things get bad, we don't want to be there any longer. And I understand if you're having health problems and things like that. I mean, I understand there's things that providentially hinder us, but I've known lots of people in life that it seems like the worse things got, the further they tried to get away from God. That's the very opposite of the direction we should be going in. David, even though he acknowledges nothing has changed, he doesn't give up on prayer. Now, if he had been like a lot of people, he would have complained, 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 and then just said, Amen, and turned around and walked out of the prayer closet. But he doesn't. He stays in the prayer closet, and he asks God to do some things. Notice the first admission he makes. He admits that he's overwhelmed by his emotions, and he asks God to master his emotions. He says this, "'Consider and hear me, O Lord my God, lighten mine eyes.'" Lest I sleep the sleep of death. Now, what's David talking about when he says, Lighten mine eyes? This is figurative language that David is using. Some would maybe liken it uh, to someone whose eyes are growing dim in death, but I don't think that's what David is talking about. I think rather what he is talking about is that God would somehow raise his countenance and give him deliverance from the despair that he is experiencing. Let me tell you something it's not a sin to have emotions but it's a sin to let your emotions govern you. We all have emotions. I've been in a lot of churches where they pretend like they didn't have any emotions. It was dead and boring, and, I mean, nobody wanted to be there. Amen. even the preacher didn't want to be there. God has created us as emotional beings. You understand that? There's nothing wrong with that. I I was reading the other day, and this isn't my message, but I've been looking for a reason to say it, so this is as good as any. I was seeing the other day where Paul said this in, in the book of 2 Corinthians. He said, if we be beside ourselves, it is unto God. But if we be sober, it is for your sakes. I don't know about you. Maybe I'm not intelligent enough to uh, disbelieve the Bible, but I'll tell you what it sounds like to me. Uh, I know what beside myself means. And it sounds to me like what, and, and Paul is talking about the authenticity of his ministry and of his apostleship. And what he's saying is this. He's saying, look, I don't have anything to prove to you. He's saying, if I get in the glory and get beside myself, I'm not doing that for you. I'm doing that for the Lord. He said, if I was going to do something for you, I'd just stay sober about the thing so you wouldn't be comfortable. Let me say that real worship, and this isn't my message, but real worship is an offense to the flesh. And you want to see people get uncomfortable, just start worshiping. Folks start getting uncomfortable real quick. What David or what Paul is saying, he's saying, if I get by, beside myself, that's to God. That's not to you, and it's not to impress you. I think that probably Paul was an emotional person. The Bible says of Elijah that he was a man of like passions as we are. The truth is, God has created us as emotional creatures. There's nothing wrong with that. Let me tell you something. God's will is not that our emotions be obliterated. It's that they be domesticated, that they be led by the Spirit of God, that they be like every other part of our being, that they be used for His glory. Let me tell you something, when your emotions try to rob glory and confidence and faith and encouragement and courage from God, when they try to rob things from the throne room of grace, they need to be quieted. But the more that they lift up the Lord Jesus Christ, you're in all right shape when that happens. Emotions are not a bad thing, but he's asking God to master those emotions. He's saying, hitherto, my flesh and the devil has been using my emotions to bombard me and to lead me and to direct me away from faith in You. But he's saying, God, I pray that You'd take control of these things and that You would master my emotions for me. Then notice, secondly, he asks him to master his enemies. He says this in verse 4, Lest mine enemies say I have prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. In other words, he's saying, my emotions have been laying me low, but my enemies have been laying me low, my foes. Or we might say specifically in this dispensation of grace uh, that the influence of the flesh, the world, and the devil would seek to bombard us and to control us. And David is asking God to give him deliverance from those influences. Now, we understand, and David certainly understood, uh, that uh, having the ultimate victory over the flesh is not something that's going to take place until one of these days when we leave this world. We understand the flesh is not going to be eradicated until our vile body is made like unto his glorious body. You know, I was seeing something when I was studying today in the 119th Psalm, verse 5. David says this. He says, Oh, that thou would direct my paths to keep thy statutes. You remember that he says that? Oh, that I were directed to keep thy statutes. You know that you and I, indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, we are directed to keep his statutes. When we veer a little to the right or to the left, he gets us right back where we need to be if we yield unto him. David understood that the flesh was not going to be eradicated, but I do believe that he sought for the Lord to give him deliverance over the dominion of it. Sin is always going to be a reality in this world that we live in. But listen, just because we live in a sinful world don't mean we have to live in sin. Just because you're going to sin sometimes, that doesn't mean you need to live a life of sin. We're all going to make mistakes, but that doesn't mean we should aspire to mistakes. We should aspire for God to have dominion over those things. So he's praying and he's asking God to do this. And then finally, and I'm done, notice his committed song. Verse number five, he says, But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. Can I give you this phrase? When things aren't changing, don't lie to the Lord about it. Just be honest. When things aren't changing, be persistent in prayer. Don't give up on prayer. Continue to pray and ask God to master and have dominion over your circumstances and yourself. But then number three, don't silence your song because there's still plenty to rejoice about. David has prayed and asked God to do all these things, but now he speaks of something that's in the past tense. And he says this, I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. In other words, what he's saying is this, I may be looking for things to change, but there's some things that don't never change. And those are the very things I can rejoice in. Let me tell you something, I don't know how bad things are for you, but I know if you're saved, you'll always be saved. I mean, listen, you had a reason to rejoice before you entered into this storm. And though you're in this storm and now you may have a reason to pray and to even pour out your complaint to God, that doesn't mean that your reason for rejoicing has been taken away. You still have things to rejoice in. Listen to what Paul said. He said, whatsoever things are pure, Whatsoever things are lovely. Whatsoever things are of good report. You know what he said? He said, think on these things. We have a lot of say in what we focus on. David is not pretending his problems have gone away, but he also refuses to pretend that God's goodness has gone away as well. Your problems may not change in the next week, in the next month, in the next year, in the next 10 years. Maybe for the rest of your life, there may be things that you're asking God to do that never seem to take place. But it doesn't mean that you can't rejoice in the things He's done in your life. You have to make that choice. He rejoices in basically two things, and I'll just give them to you. He rejoices in God's salvation. He said, I've still got my salvation. I have trusted in God and His salvation is sure. No matter what happens tomorrow, I'll still be saved tomorrow. No matter what happens the day after, I'll still be saved the day after. And if I don't ever have anything new to rejoice over in my life, I always have that to rejoice over. And I refuse to allow the devil to silence that song. Now, again, David's not singing a song about his sad circumstances. No, he's singing a song about the sure salvation that he has. I'm not saying you pretend that you don't have problems. I'm saying don't ever forget the things that God has already sorted out. Don't ever forget the things that God has already done for you. Don't ever forget that above any and everything else, He's already saved you. And that's something worth rejoicing over. And then secondly, he he sings of God's sufficiency. In verse 6, he says, I will sing unto the Lord... Because he hath dealt bountifully with me. We might could say it this way. No matter how bad things are, they're a lot better than you and I deserve. He says, the Lord's dealt bountifully with me. He says, I really sit and take inventory and look at my life. And no matter what I have to complete, this is the same David. that, That five verses earlier was saying how long. And I believe that David didn't quit saying how long just because he was rejoicing in the Lord. But he has to acknowledge God's goodness in his life because God's goodness is so apparent. I don't know what you're facing. You may be facing sickness. You may be facing domestic problems. You may be facing an assault spiritually in your heart and mind and home. Whatever it is you're facing, you and I both deserve an eternity in hell. And just because we're facing those things, that don't give us a reason to forget what God has done for us in our life. We still have something to sing about and to rejoice over.